How are we doing, Epiphany? Good. Such an honor and delight to be here. Um, it's, it's nowhere else in the world that I would rather be than um, singing about the faithfulness of our God. Lamentations 3, uh, 22 and 23 says, every single morning uh, there's new mercy. Uh, we have a faithful, faithful God. So this morning before you even got up, I, got, I get up early on Sunday morning, 6 o'clock uh, sometimes earlier than that, but this morning I got up at six o'clock. Was out in the streets of Bedside just praying, and um, and before I got out of bed, God was already. I was met with new mercy, and met with the faithfulness of our God. And that is such a such a such a. I mean, when you think about that, before I my feet hit the floor, before I brush my teeth, God was already there meeting me with faithfulness. That's such good news. And the, the beauty in his faithfulness is his faithfulness isn't just in minor areas of our life, but he's faithful unto salvation. Those that have trusted in the person and in the work of Jesus. First John 1 John 1.9 will say, if you confess your sins, here it is again, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us of our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. Listen, if you've been here at any point uh, in time in our church, you'll see one thing that we are absolutely passionate about. It is the centrality of Jesus Christ. We want to sing about him. We want to preach about him. We want to talk about him. We want him to be known. We want you to walk out of here and be like, I don't know who preached today, but I know Jesus was there. That, that is our, our goal. So uh, Gabe said it, and I want to say it again. First of all, welcome to, to Epiphany Church. Is this not like amazing and exciting that we all get to have a space, not have set up and breakdown? Yeah. Uh, amen. Set up and breakdown team. We can, we can shut off the lights and actually walk out. Like we've never done that before. Uh, but no, in, in, in all honesty, the, you know, this, this space gives us so many opportunities to be able to strengthen some of our partnerships. We're partnering with a school uh, down the street called Excellence Boys School. We, we get to do more stuff with, we're talking about doing mentorships and a mentorship program. Um, we're partnered with Young Life. Where's Janelle at? Is Janelle in here? She's somewhere around. Janelle is the director of, of uh, Young Life for Bed-Stuy. We're going to start having, transitioning bed, the, the Bed-Stuy Young Life to be here. There she is, Janelle. We're going to transition Young Life to be in this space every other Friday. So every other Friday night, we're going to have teens between uh, 15, I think it's 13, and 19. We're going to have at least 15 to 20 kids in this room every other Friday night to be able to share the gospel with them. So th this, this building gives us so many opportunities. And I am uh, I'm just honored and, and glad to be in this neighborhood. It's such a rough neighborhood. Let, let me say that again. It's a rough neighborhood. I went to the McDonald's uh, down the street. My wife and I, we pulled through the drive-thru, and I kid you not, I have a picture on my phone, so I'll show you if you want to see it. There's bullet holes literally in the McDonald's drive-thru window. They ain't even replace it. It's just sitting there. Um, so that's one of the reasons why the Lord has us here. Right, to like we exist to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. We didn't bring Jesus to Brooklyn. He was already here working. And we're just joining in what he's already doing. But my hope and goal, and I'm rushing this along, my hope and goal is that this building would not be the goal. This is just plaster, drywall, and some paint. And some of the walls ain't even painted yet. So, so this is not the goal. The goal is to see these seats filled with lost people that met Jesus, dead hearts that were made alive to Jesus Christ. 
blinded eyes open to the richness of the gospel. That is the goal. And I, I want to keep that always before you. We have a few things going on in the fall that I'm really excited about and I really want you guys to, to consider. Um, our fourth Wednesday night Bible studies is going to be a, a good time. Our hope in two years, we're, we're going to continue it, but in two years is to walk through Genesis 1 to Revelations 22 in two years within our Bible studies. Uh, and so those will be every other, we're going to hit major themes, not every scripture. But those, those are, uh, those are going to be fun times for our church to really to grow. And I'm talking spiritual growth, not numerical, although that would be nice, but spiritual growth for our church. Um, the, the other thing I wanted to mention is our small groups. We're going to start having those. Did we say we're having signups today? You can go online and, and sign up. Listen, we really want you guys to, that is the, this is Sunday morning is a, is a picture it's like a collage, right? And then within the collage, there's small little pictures. Sunday morning is a picture of the church, but really the church is, it happens Monday through, through Saturday. And so small groups is a good way to get plugged into community. Uh, in our DNA groups, we want to continue to strengthen those. And so some really good things happening in the fall. And so, um, yeah, just excited about that. Let me also just join into what Gabe was saying. Thank you to everyone that put their hands to the plow this week and last week. I mean, we had people in here at midnight. Uh, last night we were here till one o'clock. Just, I mean, just serving and cleaning and painting and lifting. I'm still sore. Uh, Ty couldn't even sleep last night. Her back was all messed up. And so, so many of you have put your hands to the plow and just really grateful for you. And there's just two people I just have to say something about because uh, these two people really have, um, they've been here every day and just taken a load off of what it means to like get this space ready. Let me thank God for Deanna. Deanna, can you raise your hand? Yeah. She literally built this whole thing with her bare hands. I watched her do it. She literally built it. She's, um, she, she's just a, an amazing, I mean, gifted interior designer by heart, but just a gifted, gifted person and a, and a tremendous blessing to our friend and, and to our church. And the greatest thing about her is that she's, she's a better friend than she is gifted. She's just a a sweet person, so uh, grateful for her and Brian as well. Can we thank God for Gabe as well? <laughs> Gabe is another blessing. Him and his wife, Keisha, blessing to our church. Just whatever it takes, he, he's going to do. I, he reminds me, and this is, a, I, I like scandalous shows. By the way, I'm not a drug dealer. I'm just... <laughs> just want to say that to you. I don't know if, I, if you think I am, but I'm, I'm, I'm not. Besides this one little bag. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Joke. That was just a joke. Joking. Um, where, where was I going? Oh, I, I was, <laughs> I, I was going to say one, one of my, I'm, I'm just going to put myself out there. I used to really like the show Scandal. And, and in the show Scandal, there, there's a, a character named Olivia Pope, and she was like the fix it. She'll fix whatever. She reminds me of Gabe. Gabe just, whatever you put on his plate, he's like, I'm, I'll figure it out. You know, I'll, I'll work it out. So I'm really, really grateful for him. I uh, just want to shout out a couple of people and say thank God for a couple of people that are here. Steve Cantor is here. Can you raise your hand, Steve? Steve, yeah, let's thank God for Steve. 
uh, he, just a, a good friend uh, of mine, a good friend of the church. Uh, he also sits on our management team that oversees the, the church, and he's also on the North American Mission Board. With the, I don't know if he's the director or the point of contact here in New York, this New York region. And so uh, just been a, a good friend of our church and really helped us in many ways uh, to, to really plant ourselves into this neighborhood. Brent Storms is here, president of Orchard Group as well. Can we thank God for, for Brent? Orchard Group has been planting churches since 1949. Um, just an amazing network. Uh, and, and they're not just domestic. They are, I mean, he just got back from Paris. We are planting churches all over the world um, in, in really hard areas. Uh, and, and the one focus that we have is just, man, we just church got to preach the gospel. Deuteronomy 8.3 says, you don't have to turn there. It says, man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And it's time for the word. That's, uh, we've, you, can, you can plan a church off of many different ways through events and social media. And um, one of the ways we felt really drawn to, to really plant this church is through scripture, through Bible. And so um, we, it, it's time for the word. Three or four months ago, this date, we chose for someone else, one of our other partners, to come up and preach. I mean, three or four months ago. And so I am not preaching today, and I'm actually really tired, so I'm actually happy not to be. Uh, that can just sit, take notes, and be ministered to today. But we have one of our, our partner uh, churches, the District Church in Jacksonville, Florida. The lead pastor, Boyd Bettis, uh, and his sweet wife, Brittany, are here. Uh, and I'm so excited that he's here because he, he's another one that has been a partner of ours uh, really from, I can't even say day one. It was like day minus one, like before we had anything. He is another person that was like, man, we want to join in what the Lord is doing. Uh, he's um, part of the, the Southern Baptist North American Mission Board. He's also a part of a network that we're a part of, Acts 29. And so I'm so happy to invite up uh, Pastor Boyd Bettis. Can you guys thank God for Pastor Boyd as he comes? Let me pray for him and then turn it over to him. Father, so thankful for all that you're doing, all the work that you're doing, but uh, this is the time that we really came for. We came to get into your word. Um, your, your word really is a lamp unto our feet and a light, light unto our paths. We have no clue what to do, what to say, where to go if your word doesn't direct us. And so this morning, I pray that you would speak to us uh, through Pastor Boyd, and I pray that the Holy Spirit would use him in a mighty way, but also I pray that the Holy Spirit would soften our hearts. We need the Holy Spirit to hear what you have to say, so speak to him, use him in Christ's name, amen. Love you, Love you. How are you? You good? So you could stay on those keys. It sounds so pretty in here. <laughs> um, spirit of confession, since you already did. Um, the vow, you, you seen it? Vow, no. no, then you don't know chick flicks. <laughs> so who's seen the vow? Yeah, there ain't, no, there ain't a more emotionally dysfunctional and frustrating movie. I don't know what's more disturbing is that I know so much about it or the fact that my wife and I were driving one day and I quoted the entire movie and my wife just looks at me and she's like, I, I don't know what's more impressive or disturbing that you know this entire movie or that you know the entire storyline or that you're actually admitting that you watch it. So I love the vow. So 
Uh, man, it's so good to be with you. I love your city. Um, your pastor and his wife, Ty, they've become good friends of ours. Um, not to throw him under the bus at my first time here, but I hung out with him in Philly, and I was like, all I want is a Philly cheesesteak in Philly. And he's like, well, we got a bunch of us. We're going to go to the Cheesecake Factory. And I'm like, I look at one of the guys that traveled with me, I'm like, bro, I got a Cheesecake Factory in Jacksonville. Like, We're about to dip, ditch this guy here. Come take me to the Cheesecake Factory in Philly. And so then one of his other guys took me to get a Philly cheesesteak, and it was horrible. And so you tell him, if this is live, then you could tell him that I'm not eating with him next month in Philly. But we love you guys. Um, our church started three and a half years ago. Uh, my wife and I actually thought we were going to come to Brooklyn to plant a church. And by God's grace, he connected us at a church leadership conference with your pastor. Um, and he was like, yeah, we're going to plant a church in Brooklyn. I'm like, all right, let's, let's partner with you. Let's be a part of this. We wanted to go to Brooklyn. God kept us in Jacksonville kicking and screaming. Uh, if you've heard of our city, you've probably heard of our city because of our beloved Jacksonville Jaguars. It is your, it's your only guarantee to win, right? So uh, that's our, we always have like the dream of a comeback year. So, um, but we love you. We're, we're thankful for you. Um, it's amazing. Three and a half years, we're still set up and break down. So, um, so there's a couple words of encouragement. Uh, to you. Uh, one, it's by God's grace, you have a space that you call home, but you also need to remind yourself that this, this is just temporary. This is just part of your story, uh, that this is an arrival point for you. Um, it, it could get very distracting easily. Uh, there may be a chance that you guys stay here for a few months or a few years, but you need to remember that you're still planting a church, haven't been planted yet. You're still planting, you're still building, and you're still making processes. This is just a, a temporary spot for you. And what that means is that it becomes a spot that you leverage and you steward and you take every bit of advantage of uh, because you need to understand that this place becomes a, a place of refuge for you and for your city and for your neighborhood, but it's not a rival yet. It's just part of the story. I have some friends that we miss, um, hung out with a couple days ago, portable permanent, portable, permanent, portable, permanent. Now they're permanent and they would move back and forth. So um, don't get too cozy is all I'm saying. So I want to preach on the idea today of what does church planning and suffering have to do together. Uh, I'm going to just read this, but I'm going to go to 2 Corinthians here in a second. But let's start in Romans. Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For I don't consider that suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. I love how this echoes throughout the entire Bible that suffering and God's plan and his purposes are always linked together. But yet in our culture and in our time, the idea of suffering is for us the perception that God has left us or abandoned us or that God ceases to be sovereign when suffering and pain and affliction come to mind. But Paul echoes throughout his entire story that I don't consider it anything. It's nothing in comparison. That as Paul looks at his current circumstances throughout his ministry, 
that it's just this very, very little thing that God has orchestrated for his life. What does that have to do with church planning? Is as you guys plan a church, you have to understand that right now in these beginning stages, these are some of the most fun days. Uh, for us, three and a half years ago, I try to block those memories out, but I think through every story of pain along the way and how it's built our church to where it is. Last year was the worst year of our church plant of all of time. Moved to a new location, had to change some staffing. Uh, I don't know if you're allowed to say all hell broke out in our church is basically what happened. Like every single thing that could happen, but it was one of the most defining moments for us. When you look at your life now, you have to understand that over the course of God's grace on Epiphany Fellowship here in Bedstuy, that there will be hundreds upon hundreds of people that will walk through these doors. And you have to understand the means in which God will build Epiphany, that God will choose to use people through church planning marked with stories of suffering. You cannot look at any move of God. You cannot look at any story of great of any great ministries or ministers where their great story was marked with an equally greater story of suffering. It just doesn't work out that way. And some of you, uh, just some of the stories that Pastor Brandon shared with me, some of y'all have experienced some of that already in the short time. You guys haven't even hit the one year mark yet, but there's been already stories of suffering and pain. And so you ask yourselves. It's not, what do we do if suffering comes? Because you know that it will. You know that that's the trajectory. You know that any great story that God is shaping comes through suffering. So how do you respond? How do you remember these things? In 2 Corinthians, um, one of the things that we try to encourage pastors to read is not just 1 Timothy 3 for their character, but also 2 Corinthians to understand the life of a pastor, to understand the life of a minister, to understand what it's like to be uh, serving the Lord. 2 Corinthians, uh, you hear Paul's heart and his story. You've got to understand he plants this church, but yet he's going to come into this time where the people that he loved deeply, the people that he pastored and labored for, are all of a sudden going to start questioning him. They're going to start questioning then his integrity. They're going to start questioning, hey, are you really an apostle? It's almost as if John the Baptist is echoed in the Corinthian church. Are you actually the one? John the Baptist talking about Jesus, but to the Corinthians, like, are you actually an apostle? And Paul's just going to regurgitate for them his life and his ministry. Let's start, let's start in verse 4 or verse 7. So Paul says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. But we have this treasure in these jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. Paul's speaking of himself here, this broken and frail and fragile minister of the gospel He's walking about in a city, talking to people in whom he loves deeply but are questioning him. And he begins to talk about how he carries around this treasure. He's starting to uh, discern here and contrast that uh, in their time. If you had something of value, what'd you do? You'd lock it up in a safety box. You'd put it in something fancy. But he's going to say, but we, as the ministers of the gospel, we carry around this great treasure. But it's in these fragile and frail and cheap little jars that were molded with clay. But yet, what is this treasure that they hold? 
What is this thing that they share? He's going to go on here in a few and talk about what suffering looks like for him. But it's this treasure that this glory of God is being displayed through him. That the surpassing power doesn't belong to them. He's saying, hey, don't look at my life. Don't look at me, but look at what is being shown and what is being revealed in and through me. It's this great treasure in the midst of our own lives, in the midst of your brokenness, in your pain, in your affliction, in your suffering, are these small little glimpses of God's power and his glory it's just being shown in these little ways. I sat today um, downstairs in the hotel lobby and it was just this moment of reality that uh, I've been a Christian now some 14 years, became a Christian at 17, um, 31 now. And it was just this mindset of like, I don't think I've ever believed that the greatest hope of humanity is Jesus there's never been a time in my life where I've believed it. That, and I know it's funny, one of the guys on my Facebook was like, like, that's what New York will do to you. And I'm like, I didn't even have time to get in this debate, but I'm like, I'm actually thinking about our own city of Jacksonville, this religiously dysfunctional, broken city. And there's just this idea that's like, hey, like the only hope that we have, as Paul describes, is this treasure that we carry around in these jars of clay. He's going to talk about his own body being broken. He's going to talk about his own life. And he talks about how it's this idea that it's God's glory being displayed. I know you're opening day. You didn't want to hear a sermon on suffering. So it's like, it's like we're all celebrating. And this guest pastor comes and talks about pain. But you have to understand as Paul begins to write here, he's going to contrast pain and suffering marked with this glory that's being revealed. Verse eight, he says, we're afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed, we're perplexed, we're not driven to despair, we're persecuted but not forsaken, we're struck down but not destroyed. He's gonna go in this little poetic thing here. I love how Paul's writing this. He's contrasting things. He's going to start with saying, hey, we're afflicted. There's this great affliction upon us. You, you begin to think of what it means to be hard-pressed. You ever have one of those moments where like, the pain and affliction is just too intense, but for some reason you're not being let down by it? It's this affliction. This is what Paul's going to say throughout his entire ministry. Uh, read through the book of Acts. Apart from Jesus, there's no other man in history that suffered like Jesus except Paul. You got to remember, I think it's earlier on in Acts as Paul's getting into his preaching ministry. All of a sudden, uh, he goes and they beat him in one city. And they're like, hey, this guy's dead. Let's just drag him to the outskirts of the city. It's like we're afflicted, but we're not crushed, perplexed. What does it mean to be perplexed? You ever have one of those moments where you begin to think, where is God in all of this? Where's he at? Why is all this happening to me? We begin to start questioning, like, did I read my Bible enough? Did I, did I do enough good deeds today? Like, what's going on? Because I'm so perplexed. Everything seems to be going wrong. But what happens? You're not driven to despair. Why? You don't go to despair. Because you haven't lost your hope yet. It's amazing. You ever sit across the table from somebody? 
you just look at them and you're like, man, you just get a pass. Like you could deny the Lord today, like, and we're good. Like whatever's going on in your life, you're sitting across the table from them. But there's the only thing, that's why I say Jesus being the only hope for humanity is when we get in these moments, and you gotta look at the life of Paul. I can't imagine his ministry. I think about often in times of just reading through Paul's accounts of pain, like physical pain, and I always contrast it to what it'd be like to be in the military. Uh, my wife and I, we love watching wartime movies. I don't know why, I just love them. Um, but I think about those scenes where they get in a spot where they're like tying you up and they're like, tell us all the government secrets. And if you don't, we're going to stick this screwdriver through your eye. Like, you know what I'm talking about? And I'm like, if I was one of those guys, like, I'm not a pain guy. I'm like, I'm going to give you president's phone number, his cell number, like his emails, everything. That's me. I think about the life of Paul. I'm like, one beaten, and I'm like, I'm tapping out. <laughs> you read through his accounts. It's like, we're afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed. And the interesting thing between perplexed and being driven to despair, is this okay in those moments of your pain and suffering to question and have doubts? Right, right. It's one of the most real things you could do for somebody. I hate when somebody's going through an issue and they're like, Brother, God's so good, man. Like, and it's like, really? Like, I get that he's good. But like, we don't have to go with this faux idea. I think God's okay with your doubts. I think he's okay in those moments. I think there's those moments, but we have to begin to change our questions. A lot of times it's, why is this happening to me? Why am I going through this? Uh, what happened with the apostles throughout the te New Testament? Anytime suffering or affliction or persecution would come along, they'd say, hey, we count it a joy that we are actually worthy to suffer. Right, right. So we're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. Despair is losing all hope. Being perplexed is I don't know what's going on. The affliction, the pain... It's too much for me to carry, to, to burden. But we don't lose hope. He talks about being persecuted. If you were to go on and say in verse 9, persecuted but not forsaken. We're struck down but we're not destroyed. Paul begins to reference his life of physical persecution. You'll read through his accounts in the book of Acts and through Corinthians and you'll talk about how, hey, there was many times I received flogging. There was many times I was in prison. The entire book of Acts, Acts 24 through 28, a series of a few years in which Paul is going to be sitting on a, uh, in prison for the gospel. He's going to get beaten a few times. He's going to get persecuted. He's going to get falsely accused. You've got to understand, Paul is just fleshing out the life of Jesus in his own ministry. So we're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. It's amazing that we begin to think the moment something does not go right in our life, we begin to believe that God has ceased to be sovereign. Like, think about that. Think about that in your own life. Health issues, financial, spouse all of a sudden something goes wrong and we romanticize suffering at times. And here's the deal. Some of you are actually experiencing suffering because it's been God-ordained. Some of you are experiencing suffering by your own unwise decisions. So you got to separate the two here. We got, we got people work out at this gym. I know I don't look like it. <laughs> that boy don't work out. We got people and they're like, I'm just praying for God to heal me. And I'm like, 
you, like, you cannot blame God for this. Like you're making unhealthy decision after unhealthy decision. You cannot romanticize suffering. Some of it's self-inflicted. Some of it's ordained by God. Anytime it's talking about here, it's suffering that God has allowed. So we're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. God still is sovereign. And he begins to go on here. Verse 12. He says, so death is at work in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus, bringing us with you in his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that grace extends more and more to people and may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Let me unpack this for a moment here. I love how Paul begins to say this in verse 12. So death is at work in us, and then he'll continue on, and he'll begin to use the phrase, um, where is it? Verse 11. Forgot the verse I'm looking for. Verse 10, sorry. Verse 12, he says, death is at work in us. In verse 10, he says that we're always carrying around in the body the death of Jesus. What, it begin, what, what does that begin to mean for us here? Is what Paul is going to say to us as you advance the gospel in a city like Brooklyn, as you advance the gospel in New York, that you have to know that as you walk around, you carry the same suffering as Jesus. You carry the same suffering as Paul. What he's going to say is that you walk around with the death of Jesus in you. What does that begin to look like and fleshed out for us? Is that when you begin to think about the advance of the gospel, it's going to come through with the story of suffering, hardship, and pain. As Paul begins to articulate for us what this begins to look like, as we have to understand, as we carry this body, as we carry this idea of the death of Jesus in us, what that begins to look like for us is this constant reminder that we are associated with a king and we are associated with a savior whose life was marked with suffering that never leaves us, that still goes with us, that's still a part of our lives as we do ministry. I love what he begins to say here in verse 14 knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. I love that word and how Paul says here. He says, knowing that, like you know that, that we know these things as followers of Jesus, that we know these things that the call of discipleship is a lot tougher than we realize, that we realize that these things go with us. And so, but we know a couple things. That not only will we experience suffering, but we'll also experience resurrection. What does resurrection mean for us? It means that there's a point in time in which Jesus returns and restores everything back to the original design. That one day our bodies, this body that we talk about as Paul describes as this jar of clay, this feeble body, this body that's dying away, will one day be resurrected with Christ. That there will be a day, this is when we talk about the idea of future hope. This is you walk through suffering. How do you begin to make sense of it? It's remembering that the resurrection comes. Resurrection happened with Jesus at the cross. The resurrection happens again with the return of Christ. 
It's funny how a lot of us get scared. And I'll know, like, I come from the religious south here, so this might not apply to you. But how many of y'all remember the Left Behind series? Were y'all, it's one of the things where it's like God's grace to you, or maybe he spared you from. But you begin to think about the book of Revelation, you're like, man, this is crazy. But it's really not. It's really a picture of how all things end. It's really a picture, Revelation 21, 22, that we have our eyes fixated on the return of Jesus. Why? Because Rome, or Revelation 21, 22 talks about how there will be a day when every tear will be wiped away, every pain taken care of. God comes to earth to be with man. He restores heaven on earth here. And we have this, this future hope as we walk through doing ministry here in the city, as you walk limping through it, right? This constant reminder in your head and in your heart with your feet as you're trying to walk through it of like, what does this mean as I'm carrying around the death of Jesus with me? As you walk, you're thinking through. Paul says, hey, knowing that there's going to be this resurrection to come. And what that means is you get fixated in your head, in your heart, in your mind that there will be a day where Revelation 21 and 22 come true. Behold, making all things new. It's got a Settle in your head for a moment. It's got to resonate in your heart. In those moments that you just feel crushed. And for some of you, the idea of carrying around the death of Jesus just resonates with some of you more than others. But it's fixating your eyes on knowing. In verse 15 through 18, some of my favorite verses here. He says, so we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. Though our elders, outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal couple key truths here I want to show you. I love how Paul says we take heart. It's amazing to think when you read through the entire Bible, Old Testament to New Testament, there's this idea. It goes all the way back to the time of Joshua. He says, be strong and courageous to take heart. The idea of taking courage. We just got done preaching through Acts uh, 24 and the idea that we constantly try to tell our peoples, what does it mean to have courage? How do you take heart? Why does God tell us to take heart and courage? It's because there's going to be those moments in your church plant. There's going to be these moments when uh, what happens like getting a deadbolt on your door and you're scrambling, wondering what to do. Was that when y'all were at the Diamond Club? That's what I call it. It's a simple thing. Nothing too crazy, actually. You're not getting persecuted, but it's a little thing. What does what it echo throughout the entire Bible when he talks about taking courage? It's because you're going to have these moments. You don't just get courageous all of a sudden. You don't just get those moments where you're hyped up and somebody like throws at you and they're like, what does Philippians say? I could do all things, right? Like, not like they start twisting the scripture and you're like, that's not applicable to this situation. But what happens is uh, we have to take courage. Paul's going to say we take heart. It's not an emotional hype thing. 
but it's a for sure mindset of what you know to be true in those moments when suffering comes, when this church plant gets very painful, you're taking heart. You have encouraged. Why? Because you're looking on God's faithfulness. You're looking at his character. You're looking at what he's already done. And Paul's going to say, hey, even though we're afflicted and even though we're driven here to despair and even though we're persecuted and even though we are constantly reminded that the death of Jesus is weighing on our shoulders and over our heads, we take heart because you will suffer at different times. I love how he talks about it. He's like, even though I'm wasting away, even though this body's decaying, like that's the funny thing for those of you that like lifting, right? Like I'm 31 years old now. I'm bench pressing more than I ever have in my life, but I'm just fooling myself, right? I'm just fooling myself thinking that the longer I could keep working out, the more gains I could get. My whole body's just falling apart. It's just decaying. That's the funny thing about a city like yours. Everybody's just fooled around here thinking that their happiness is going to be found, right? You could go to the doctors and make your body look better than it really is. You got 60-year-old women that walk around looking like they're 30 and 20, and you're like, you're just fooling yourself. Why? It's because our outer self is wasting away. What the gospel's doing in you is your inner self is being renewed day by day. I love how you quoted Romans. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How? It's because the gospel is at work in your heads. We'd say it at our church that as the gospel informs my head, it's transforming my heart, and I'm being renewed day by day. So what happens in this text here as you guys are planting a church in the city is you're looking at a McDonald's that's been shot up. It, it, it ought to force you to have this disturbance in your soul that while you look at your city and everybody's wasting away, everybody's just falling apart, you guys come and you, you gather and you celebrate and, and you're, you're excited of, about the fact of what God's doing. But then you look at your city and they're just blinded, not knowing what you have. I love how he closes this out in verse 17 and 18. For this light momentary affliction. Isn't that hard for us? It's just light and momentary, right? But yet what do we do? Your cell phone don't work and you're you, you spazzing out. Your child gets sick. Your mom does. You lose a job. Everything in your life, your, your spouse walks in the door and says they're out. You begin to think, why are all these things happening? And you, you begin to think, what does Paul say? He's talking here about gospel ministry. Some of the principles you pull are just your own suffering. And it's in those moments that God builds your convictions and your courage and your idea of who he is. 
Imagine you think about this as light and momentary affliction. As you close your eyes and you just think, what are the, the momentary things? Those moments when in my head, I just can't make sense of it. It's in these light and momentary times when your soul needs to be reminded of what's true because here's what I do in my head. I begin to think, why is this happening? Where is this coming from? Why is God doing this? Why is this being allowed? And you just think how quickly your life really is. You think how quickly it all just happens. The fact that in October of last year, some of y'all didn't even know each other. Just imagine how quickly things happen. In an instant. We just sent my kids to elementary school um, a year ago. And then like all of a sudden, you ever get emotional when you see pictures of your kids? All of a sudden, you're like, I get in my Facebook feed just here and there a, a photo of my child when he's a baby. And I'm like, where did time go? It's like my seven-year-old. It's in first grade. It's really awkward when you drop your kids off and the teachers think you're his big brother. They're like, hey. And they're like, you do do CrossFit, don't you? It's just this light, momentary affliction. Why? It's because what God is doing, how he's preparing you, he's preparing you for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I love how some translation says it's beyond all measure. It's in those moments where you just feel like you're being completely crushed by the realities of life, the, the realities of planning a church, trying to labor in the gospel. And so I want to close with this. Is how do you not lose heart in this? Let's be honest. Y'all ain't even getting started yet. Let me talk specifically church planning here. You haven't even made it to the one-year mark, and you already got a space. That's pretty significant. That's very significant. If I were to go home and tell our church that, they would all be mad at you. <laughs> They'd say, we need to stop supporting them. They should support us. <laughs> you, got a guy, you got a guy that says, I'm your money guy. That don't happen. That don't ever happen. Unless it's y'all's situation, then it does happen. <laughs> How do you make sense of all this? How do you take what Paul says? Because one day you have to understand, I, I shared this with our church, there'll be one day where we'll stand before the people. And I don't know how this works out. Like, this might not be all that biblical. This is just how it plays out in my head. But there's a day where I think about where Hebrews 11 and 12 come true. I'm going to have to stand before all these men and women that have died and suffered. The, the, the reality is the majority of us will probably never, ever suffer to the extent for the gospel in which somebody like Paul did. Like for y'all, the, the worst thing that might happen to you is somebody like makes fun of you or ignores you, right? You ain't ever going to get punched in the face for preaching the gospel. There's days where I pray that happens in our nation, where you actually got to get serious about the gospel. Are you really about Jesus? But how do you make sense of all this? If there will be a moment in your church plant, it's not if it will happen, it's when it happens. 
there will be a moment after moment in your church plant where your story is going to be marked by suffering, pain, and affliction. And what do you need to do? You have to confirm it in your heart right now how you will hold fast to the gospel. There's going to be a moment where somebody in this church is going to get really upset with this church. And they're going to cause an uproar. And all chaos is going to break out. There's going to be a moment when you're having to do a funeral for somebody who shouldn't have died so young. There's going to be a moment when something happens in the life of this church. There's going to be a moment when maybe your neighborhood rejects you. There might be a moment where the neighborhood's not glad you're here. And so what do you do? You take heart, and you stand firm, and you remember that your Savior was the very single first person who ever suffered for this faith. His entire life was marked by. You ever realize that? Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus' entire life was built and designed for him to go suffer and die? Like that needs to resonate in our hearts. Because why? Because the book of Hebrews says you have a high priest who sympathizes with you now. So as you suffer, and as you go through pain, you remind yourselves in that moment, Jesus sympathizes with you. He empathizes with you. He knows exactly what you're going through. He's not surprised by any of it. So let me encourage you here. You can't forget that God chose to use Epiphany Fellowship. God's favor and his grace that's extended to you as you gather and as God has sent you to this city. He chose you for the advance of the gospel. He's going to do stuff you'll never imagine. He's going to do such a great work through you. You have to understand that the people that sit in this room today, there will be story after story written about you in, the name, in, in church history. Like you got to understand what's going on here. That right now, as you build a church, like this is the fun part. This is the fun part of how do you make sense of what God's doing. These are those early days where you just get to enjoy it. These are those moments that you get to realize that, hey, years from now, you're going to look back and realize that year one was one of the greatest years of the entire history of Epiphany Fellowship. Just trying to figure stuff out. What do you do when you get locked out of stuff? What do you do when like, like this place that you're meeting right now, the fact that you guys are actually getting to have church in a building that you could get electrocuted in as you walk to the bathroom? Like play these mental images or the lights flicker on and off when you're trying to use it. Remember these moments. Remember the, the, the stories that God is shaping here. Remember that at some point in church history, as you guys labor for the gospel in your neighborhood, that at some point, Epiphany Fellowship's name will be recognized over and over again. But you have to understand that you will go through some stuff, and today may be just a quick word of exhortation and warning to remember that Epiphany Fellowship's story in church history will come through some stories that nobody will ever know about. It's going to be through your faithfulness in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your pain, 
that the greatest things that will ever happen in this church will be in those moments. And so as I say that, I tell you from one who planted a church three and a half years ago, and there's story after story that's played out in our church and nobody knows about, but there's those moments as a pastor, and this is why you pray for your pastor, it's because there's those moments. There's things that go through his head. There's tensions that he experiences. There's nights where he wakes up and he can't make sense of what's going on. And so as you labor with him, as you support him, and as you guys seek the good of this city, remember these words. I'll close with this. A pastor came and spoke to us at Acts 29. You just talked about the life of suffering and the gospel advancement. He just says, so what do you say when suffering comes? What do you say? Because in our head, it's why is this happening? What did I do wrong? Why is God doing this? He reversed the question for me and is brilliant. Pastor Tabidi, pastor in D.C., just said, when your suffering comes, you look at it in the face and you say, welcome my slave. You produce in me the glory that God intended. Welcome my slave. Produce in me the glory that God intended. As suffering comes in the life of your church plant, as pain happens, you look at it in the face and you smile and you almost mock it. And you say, hey, you ain't got no idea what God had intended for you and what he's going to do through this. You don't run from it. You don't cry and act as God forsaken Epiphany Fellowship, but you look at it in the face and you just sit there with joy wondering, what is God going to do through this? And I don't make light of some of the stuff you'll experience. But you have to reverse your thinking. If I consider that all of this is momentary in comparison to the glory that's going to be revealed. Let's pray. Jesus, I just pray for epiphany. Father, so early on, such great things have happened and are happening. May this not be a word of discouragement, but one of affirmation. God, that any story in which you will build in church history comes from great suffering and great pain. So we see that as an affirmation that you are at work that you are producing something. May the spread of the gospel, the advancement of the kingdom happen through our friends. Father, what joy it is to just come and be with them and be with our family. Father, I pray over them. God, that many of them will suffer great loss and tragedy and pain. And how do we make sense of that and knowing that you are still good and you are still sovereign? Father, I pray that they would see and that they would know and that they would understand that you are with them and you are for them 
and that you love this city far greater and deeper than anything that we'll ever imagine. I pray for Pastor Brandon and his wife, Ty. May you keep them close to you. May you continue to work in and through them. May you keep them healthy and guarded. Pray for the lost of this city and in this neighborhood that they would find refuge here at Epiphany Fellowship in their suffering and in their affliction. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. As we consider the suffering of Jesus, those that are serving communion, if you could come forward. You know, the, the suffering of, of Christ is a, it's a funny thing. When you look at Hebrews 12, 2, where it says, that with the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Like just get in your mind what the cross actually meant for him physically. Like there's scripture in the Old Testament that talks about how they blindfolded him, struck him in the face and said, prophesy and tell us which one of us struck you. It's places where they spit on him and ripped the, the very flesh off of his body. And then Hebrews 12 says, with the joy set before him, what was that joy? That you and I that have trusted in him can be reconciled to the Father. That is the gospel. That you cannot earn it yourself. There's, you can white knuckle it. You can do all that you want to do. When you stand before the Lord, you stand with the list, you will be crushed. But we stand and we point at Jesus and say, he did the work. It's done. It's completed. Nothing else for me to do if I've trusted in Jesus. And so this is a meal that we get to share together to remember the person and the work of Jesus Christ and reflect our position in him. If you're a believer, we ask that you would celebrate and take this with us. If you're not a believer, we ask that you would let this pass. But we go so far as to say, don't take a symbol of him. Take him today. You can talk to any one of these guys standing up here, any one of these singers about what it means to trust in Jesus and they will walk you through what the gospel is. It is as simple as you, like it's by grace alone, through faith alone and Jesus Christ alone. You, you add nothing to it. So talk to somebody today. As you receive this bread and this juice, I, I ask that you would just hold it and as you receive it, if you could stand and worship with us, we're going to worship together and then we're going to take this together. Not a solemn moment. This is a celebration that what our king came to accomplish has been done. And we get to make a toast to him today. Amen.